Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It, your favorite. I'm just going to do this every week. Your yeah. fa- did it last week, too. Your favorite homebrew show, but also we do a lot about uh, winemaking and things like that, which we're going to dabble in a little bit today. So uh, thanks for being along with us here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White and Bert Deister here, uh, your humble hosts. So summer is almost over. Mm-hmm. People don't like saying that. Nope. Don't like hearing it either, Jeremy. But I think they, they don't like hearing it or saying it because they forget that it's... St- we want to be people's favorite homebrew no, show. That's true. It's going to be tough. But it's usually really nice until like November and I, sometimes all the way to December. Yeah. No, I, and I, I, I would agree, especially after a summer like this one, seeing some cold nights, you know what Not I mean? Not going to be so bad. Yeah. No, it, it's... Uh, you couldn't spend most of the summer two hours outside without a sunburn or heat stroke. So I think a lot of people, and judging by the people coming into the store, are starting to rediscover the outsides that they yeah. haven't been venturing in since well, June. I, just, I think like the last 10 bill seasons and how many beautiful games there have been where it's been 72 degrees in October and even into November. November. So I think we get the idea that the end of summer means the end of nice weather, but that is not necessarily the case. The season ends, the weather doesn't necessarily have to. Uh, yeah. Turn. The weather is just getting good for brewing. Yeah. Oh, perfect. You know, hose water is just starting to come down for chilling. You know, when your hose water is sitting at like, you know, 72, 75 degrees, that yeah. chilling can take a long time. And who wants to hang out in the garage next to 100? You know, thousand BTU propane burner when it's uh, eighty-five degrees not out. Me, I don't even like making dinner when it's as hot as it's been yeah. this summer. All right, so summer's almost over, and it's that time of year where people start thinking about making wine. Is this really the time of year where that kicks up? This, this is the time of year where people are starting to think about it, or at least the people who are thinking about it ahead of time, or we'll say in time. Um, it is the time to start thinking about this. Uh, grapes are going to be coming into season soon, as well as a lot of other, you know, apples, pears, and stuff like that. Um, but if you want to start making some seasonal wine, now is the time to start thinking about it. And if you're a beer maker, you already have all the equipment you need to start making wine. And just because you start using it for wine doesn't mean you can't use it for beer anymore. Uh, wine's a lot easier, requires a lot less attention. It can sit and age a long time. You know how when you make that light beer and you sit it in the car buoy for three months and you just sit there agonized, worried about it, hoping it hasn't gone bad? Well, in winemaking, you've actually done it a favor, and you've, you've aged it a li- little bit more. Most wines, especially what most people drink would be you know, a red table wine, like to sit in the bottle for a year, year and a half. Now, that doesn't mean they're not good a couple weeks after bottling. The same thing like a big barley wine or something like that. Sure, it's, it's good a couple of weeks after bottling, but it's a lot better you know, nine months down the road, 18 mm-hmm. months down the road. We've done an awful lot talking about over the past year and a half when you guys get something new that might make brewing a little bit easier. Has uh, has winemaking had similar leaps forward? Are there new devices? Maybe someone brewed wine, you know, six, seven years ago, mm-hmm. and they kind of got boring or they got stagnant. Have there been develops that make it easier, better, more efficient, better tasting, anything like that? Yes, in threefold. Not only has there been... Um, we'll say more equipment and especially cheaper equipment that's come on the market. Partially, we'll say the homebrewing kind of uh, drive uh, pushed the wine equipment as well. So as a lot of these companies, um, uh, we'll say like uh, Vintney Shop, 
um, and I think Fermatech would be wonderful examples. Um, as they began selling more of their more of their products to beer makers, it allowed them to expand their products more, make improvements, improve quality, and that helped the winemakers as well, as well as pump out more gadgets. Um, like the Portuguese bottle filler, something that really, you know, wasn't imported much and it was the only automated bottle, bottle filling options. And yes, winemakers, I just said automated bottle filling, were completely automated electrical and around $200. And there was a couple other kind of hand ones that didn't work so great, around $50 to $60. But now you can get an automated bottle filler for 15 bucks. And it works great. It works, I think, better than the $60 bottle filler I'd been using for years before. Sadly, beer makers, no, there is no automated bottle filler yet for you. But winemakers, yes, there is. And it can make the process a lot less messy, and it can make it um, a lot quicker, and you, you lose a lot less wine. What, how does it exactly work? I mean, for maybe someone has thought about buying the, the wife or a girlfriend or mom winemaking equipment. Yeah. How, this this device that makes it so much easier, what does it do? It has a, um, a shutoff valve and a snorkel valve. So you put it into the top of the bottle, it makes a seal. You open up the shutoff valve, and then it fills the bottle until it hits the snorkel valve. Once it hits the snorkel valve, it cannot... Um, get the push the wine out of the bottle. It can push air out of the bottle. It can't push wine out of the bottle. Um, at that point, it stops flowing. And so, if you've answered the phone, if you're dealing with the corker, if not you're trying to, you're not overflowing a bottle, which is something that you know every home brewer has definitely done if they've bottled is you know taking the spring out of their bottle filler to speed things up, and so they can keep their hands free and maybe cap the one bottle while they're filling the next. And of course, at some point. Something gets spilled, you get distracted, phone rings, whatever happens, and you're overflowing beer all over onto the floor. Um, so it's definitely a nice gadget. Okay, so gadgets have gotten cheaper and better for winemaking. Um, bigger equipment is available now. Uh, it used to be that if you wanted to buy a, say, big like 50-gallon press or a large motorized crusher destemmer or something like that, you probably had to find a distributor online. You usually had to call, maybe send them a check or something like that, and then go pick it up. Um, with more homebrew shops, spreading out, there's been better distribution for this large-scale winemaking equipment. And so you're starting to see it available at your local homebrew shop, and we are already starting to get it in for this season. Um, so if you are a winemaker and you do grow grapes or you buy bulk grapes or you get them from a local winery and you are still hand-crushing them, you know, hand-de-stemming them, you might want to come take a look at what we have because we're going to have our full stock of stuff up right in the front of the store so you can take a look at it. Um, but yeah, it's there. It's available. You can touch it. You can play with it. And then if you want, you can certainly buy it and take it home with you. And it's going to make life a lot easier. And then last of all, and probably we'll say on the simplest end and the cheapest end, the information, just like beer making, wine making is not a uh, stagnant education. Not only can you always learn more, but there's always kind of new processes, new techniques uh, becoming popular in the science, uh, becoming a little more well-known behind those techniques. Um, so if you've been brewing wine and you haven't changed anything in the family process since your grandfather made it, you probably could be making some better wine. 
um, or at least a lot easier on yourself which with a lot higher percentage of success rate. Um, and so coming in, picking up a book, coming in, just taking a look at what's available for new yeast, um, new fermenters, racking equipment, and that kind of stuff will not only make your life a lot easier, but will also make your wine better. And I can always encourage beer makers and wine makers to pick up a good book on the hobby. Something new, something in a revised edition. Uh, if you're looking for, you know, the how to brew of winemaking, you want to go techniques um, in home winemaking by Dan Probilski, I believe the last name is. And that is a great book. He's actually worked in wineries just over the border on the Canadian wine trail and that I believe he's from the southern Ontario area, and so he talks a lot about our region, our climate, um, the struggles of trying to grow vinifera in a non-vinifera region, and um, but also a lot of the modern science of winemaking. Some of it maybe not so modern to the general, but if again, if you're doing grandfather's process, mm-hmm. if you haven't changed anything in your winemaking since the day you started, there's more you can be doing, I guarantee. Are you one to believe that winemaking can be a good supplement to beer making, to brewing, or do people tend to choose one or the other? Um, people always start with one or the other. And if they continue one as a lifelong hobby, they often end up in the other. One, you know, not everybody in the household may share a common beverage. So maybe there's somebody in the household that would be, we'll say, more accepted to your home brewing mess if they had their own winemaking mess, just to put the idea in people's heads out there. So, you know, winemaking um, definitely keeps me popular around the household. And so I always try to keep a, a batch uh, going. But it is a, like, I cannot stress enough how simple of a process it is. And so I think it's a good stepping stone. If you say, oh, I want to make beer, but I don't have the spot for a keyser. I don't want to get into mm-hmm. bottling. I don't want to have to keep the cold storage. It's a great stepping stone because you always already have the equipment you need to make beer. Um, and you won't need the cold space. You won't need the, uh, the high turnover. You can sit something in a bottle for three years. And again, you've done it a favor. Um, but I think it's an easy switch over. But wine making, you save a little bit more money by making your own wine. It's a very simple process. Beer making, you still save a fair amount of money, but it's much more labor intensive. But this is a hobby. And so the labor, the brewing, the sparging, you know what I mean, the boiling, the watching the fermentations, the racking the beer, the smelling the trub, feeling the trub. And if you don't already feel your spent yeast and trub, I would highly suggest it. You can kind of see, especially if you use the same fermentation or same yeast and fermentation over and over again, by feeling and smelling that shrub, you can kind of, uh, we'll say, head off problems you might have had in a primary fermentation. And I think it's also a good representation of yeast health as well. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's easy. I'm going to keep stressing easy. this, how easy the winemaking is, and it's what pushes winemakers over to beer making. They're looking for more time to spend on the hobby, yeah. um, and they're looking for more to tinker with. Um, and so they end up moving to beer. Well, let's get to that move to beer when we get back. Every once in a while, we kind of talk about uh, starting a friend down the home brewing road. Everybody pretty much gets there courtesy of a friend. Uh, so how to start your friends or get your friends to jump in on a hobby that uh, you're, if you're listening to this show, you're probably well in on it. We'll get to that next. Niagara Traditions Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. 
Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Back here on Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520, we talked winemaking in the first segment, and now to homebrewing how to start a friend. National Teach a Friend to Homebrew Day isn't for months, right? November? November. S- is it a 7th or is it celebrated on a Saturday? Oh, it's the first November Saturday. 10th, November 7th. Maybe it was November 7th this last year. Yeah, anyway, it's early November. So this is how to convince a friend to homebrew day, courtesy of us. It's not a national holiday, at least at least not yeah. yet. So, te- teach a friend in the fall. Teach a friend in teach the fall. Teach a friend to homebrew and day. And national homebrew day is May. Yes. See? We're learning something. Or at least trying to recall things that we've learned in the past. All right, so what's your best advice? You, you, I mean, you probably convince plenty of people to start homebrewing. They walk in the store and they say, like, I think I should probably try this. And then, you know, it's... They start brewing. It's a big part of what you do is to make them think, like, it doesn't matter if you haven't done this before, you can start. Yeah, no, and, and the, first, the first thing I start off with, whether it's a... I'm teaching... Uh, a friend in the garage, how to homebrew, or if I'm teaching a class, the first thing that I um, tell people is that it is been a human hobby for about eight to twelve thousand years, depending on who you ask or what you consider beer. Um, and so there's many, many generations that have been successful before you, and you have all that information, all those mistakes that you know you can learn off of before you brew your first beer. But um, it's it's not impossible. And, and there's always, I think, some ki- things that you can keep in mind, or a couple points when you're kind of guiding a friend, not just on that initial homebrew day, but through the entire process and their first couple beers, uh, to keep in mind that will not only make them more likely to keep brewing, but will make the process a little less stressing on you. And the first thing I can say is keep it simple, especially when you're doing that first time homebrew with somebody. Kind of gauge what type of homebrewer you think your friend is going to be. Well, they really dive into things, you know, do they uh, take over? Are they a tinkerer? Um, Do you think they're going to do extract versus all grain? And what type of beers do you think they're going to make? Are they going to make IPAs? Are they going to make English beers? Are they going to make German light lagers? And then base that first beer that you make together around those factors. So if you think, you know what, I could see him getting into all grain, but it's not going to be anytime soon. He really right now drinks like, uh, I want to say, American light style. And so set him up with an American Blondale or Cream Ale or something maybe all malt. Um, But still keep it to a light beer. And if you don't think they're going to jump right into all grain, don't make them worry about all grain. Start them with an extract batch. I try to encourage most of my friends to actually start with a can kit because I always tell them, um, while you don't want to hear this, the recipe is probably the least in part 
least important part of the home brewing process. I would definitely put stress on process and fermentation over your recipe. And so giving them a can kit, having them worry about sanitizing, pitching temperature, aeration, fermentation control, you know, good, clean bottling techniques, and then bottle conditioning is going to make every beer, no matter what the recipe they're making, better for every beer that they make from here on out. And so keep it simple. Keep the recipe simple. Keep the process simple. You also don't want to scare them away with refractometers, you know, 6 a.m., you know, pH tests of your water and dechlorinization. Have the water ready ahead of time. Start an extract brew. Try to get them out of there in under two hours, and you'll be able to keep their attention for the entire brewing and process. And I'd say make sure, yeah, when you say why do you want to get a beer they like, make sure the first one is rewarding. Like yeah. when the beer's done, you say, here's your beer, and then they like it and think, oh, man, I could, all right, I'm into this now. Like I like this beer, and I just made this beer. So that's a big part of it. Make it rewarding. I, I have had a couple friends ask me, you know, can you take me through a brewing process? I would also say make sure, like there's little psychological things. Don't do it on a busy day where they're distracted by other things. Yeah. Don't do it like during a Bills game because then it's just like doing something over here while really they're just watching the game and they never really got a part of the process. Yeah. Don't you know? start after 10 p.m. Right. I've made that mistake working afternoons many times myself. And, and usually you're somewhere during chilling or bucket cleaning and you look over and your buddy's eyes are closed. Mm -hmm. And so he's not learning anything right. there. Right. Um. Other thing you can do, keep them involved in all parts of the process. So you have them there for brew day, and I think I've made this mistake a lot, and sadly it kind of happens with our classes due to the nature of, you know, the time constraints. But they're there for the brewing, which we just covered was probably the least important part of the process. Have them come back a day or two later. See the beer sitting there at 68 degrees in your basement. See it at full croise and violently fermenting. And talk about heat balls and talk about how important it is to keep temperature control during this phase of the brewing. Bring them back for bottling. One, it's not fair to introduce them for home brewing without showing them the difference between bottling and kegging. Right. And they'll appreciate the honesty down the road. And then most of all, make sure they get some beer out of this. Not just come over and try one. Give them a six-pack. Give them a 12-pack. Give them a whole case if you can and have them be able to take that beer out and brag about it to take them over to family members or other friends and say, you know, hey, me and Bert, me and Jeremy made this beer together. Do you want to try it? And they'll have something to brag about. So they'll be proud of it. You know, they can show it off to friends, and that's really going to kind of hook them on that because they're going to want to be able to share that beer again. But the other things here that may be a little bit more tricky for the home brewing process is – don't get mad when they ask silly questions. Don't overteach the science, but also don't undersell the science. Yes, yes, yes. And, and I just like to remind everybody that at one time, they didn't know everything there is to know about beer. Uh, and that person is at that point. And so you don't want to intimidate them. You don't want to see like they have to do, you know, uh, read several textbooks, do some studying in order to make their own beer. Um, and just remember that every question you answer for them makes them a better brewer, hopefully has off a mistake that they could have further down the road. Um, the other thing I can expect tell you to expect if you're teaching somebody to homebrew with those next morning or those late night phone calls when somebody comes home they have a couple of beers that you left them with a bucket in their basement and now they all of a sudden get the admiration to go check on it 
and whether it's bubbling too much, not bubbling enough, if they never saw it bubble, um, would be the three most common things you usually get a, a call. Or they decide to open up the lid and they say, hey, this smells funny. It's been fermenting for two days and it smells like, you know, eggs and bread. And you're going to have to calm them down from those things. But don't get mad. You were there yourself. You probably called whoever you were learning to homebrew or you called us, you know, and we answered your question patiently. Remember that when you're talking to your friend who's called you six hours after you left his house to say his beer isn't bubbling. What about showing them the different tools you're going to use, whether it's bringing a friend to Niagara Tradition like to buy all the materials? Mm-hmm. But also introducing them to Brewer's Friend or some sort of website that does a wor- does a lot of the work for a person that is tinkering. Like, oh, you want to put together your mm-hmm. first recipe? Familiarize yourself with you know with this website or the the tips and tricks of the trade. Yeah. Places I would send them initially, probably not to Brewer's Friend or Beer Toad, because again, initially, especially for first time brewers, I tell them don't think too much about the recipe, worry about process. So I would send them to a place like How to Brew. Um, and because that's a great resource, it's a great, not only, we'll say in the second half of the book, uh, great reference material, um, but it's a great armchair read for anybody who doesn't even brew beer, who just likes beer, to know a little bit about the basics of the process and how you get there. I mean, other good places are, but you kind of have to watch out with some of the forums like Homebrew Talk and stuff like that. Not to say there isn't great advice and great research done on there by home individuals but there's a lot of jokes trolling and kind of everything else the internet has to offer that you have to work yourself through to make sure that you're getting the honest answer so until you know a bit about home brewing um i would say stay off some of the forums when it comes to uh the process and whether or not you're going to get a friend involved like how much how much input do you want them to have? You don't want them to be wrong about things. You, 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 is that why you're keeping it simple? You're just going to tell, you know, I, I, I might think a friend would say, like, what if we put bananas in this beer? Like, you're just going to try and steer them away from specialties. I, I definitely would, unless they only drink specialties. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to, like, so, so I have a few friends who only drink fruit beers. You know what I mean? And ciders and stuff like that. And so I am going to point them to a fruit beer. I'm not going to help them make like a framboise right off the bat or a Lindemann's clone. We're going to start off with like an EBC blueberry or or Pearl Street uh, uh, cherry wheat. You're going to keep it real simple um, and, you know, help them through that process, which isn't going to be, again, much different with a beer like that besides maybe adding a little bit, again, we've talked about this before, of uh, fruit in the beginning to say you have put it in there and get yourself a little bit colored, but then really kind of tuning in that kind of balance of fruit flavor at the end with a natural flavoring extract. Um, but it's, I mean, there's not many beers I would stay away from for a first-time brewer. Uh, we get this all the time where people come in and they say, oh, they, somebody told me I have to brew an Irish stout or I have to brew, um, you know, a pale ale or something hoppy to cover up all the off flavors I'm going to create in my first beer. And that's not true. Brew the beer you think you're going to drink or brew the beer that you're most familiar with because you're going to be able to help pick out flaws and stuff like that. And, and as we'll say as a brewing guru for your friend, you should never lie to them. 
You should never, I would say, tell them anything that is, you say, oh, it's better if they don't know this now, if they don't have to worry about it. No, you want to tell them these things because if they do make a big mistake and you say, oh, that's you know one of the big no-nos, they're going to feel silly. They're going to question their product and they're probably never going to want to homebrew again. So you have to be honest about them. Don't let them cut any corners um, and you know they will enjoy their brewing but they'll also know what's fully involved and, and if i could say the last thing overall that i want to talk about is eventually when you're helping somebody brew their beer and they start brewing at their own house they're going to bring you back a beer that they've brewed on their own without your help and then they're going to ask you to judge it and you're going to say things like i'm not a certified beer judge and you're going to try to get out of giving them any direct face-to-face feedback as you can and you have to do it um and again i would like to remind you that there was a point at which you didn't know everything about beer and they don't either so they might not taste these major flaws and stuff like that and this is going to be quite a balancing act you don't want to talk around any flaws that they have and ignore any problems but you don't want to tell them that this beer is disgusting that you wouldn't drink this or or something like that or you know good words to say is i would be happy with this you know what i mean this is a good beer it could get a lot better have really positive re-encouraging words for them but again you can't hide any major flaws so if i Somebody, uh, this has happened to me a couple of times before, I've gone over, I've brewed on a Saturday night with somebody. Um, It's about 14 days later, and they've taken it upon themselves to do the rest of the process. Friends who've done this, you know who you are out there. Mm -hmm. And they bring me back over, we'll say that, quote-unquote, Keller beer, um, about 7 to 14 days later. (laughs) And um, things I would say to that is, no, this beer tastes like it's really good. I think it would have done better though with a little bit of age and so you want to be really kind but you want to kind of point them in the right direction so they can make improvements to their beer there's nothing worse than having a bad product and not realizing it all right well that'll do it for this week this is your uh, public service announcement now that we have uh, entered football season for the most part you can use two liter pop bottles for beer because mm-hmm. they don't allow kegs at the stadium sadly Sadly. Not All right, that's it. In the car. Just a reminder, pop bottles will work great. Two liters. Jeremy White, Bert Deister, happy Saturday, happy brewing. And go brew with somebody? Beer, 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 beer. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.